Hello and welcome to The Wilderness Mind, a podcast that celebrates all things nature and well-being. My name's JK, coach and facilitator at Where the Mind Grows. Welcome to another episode of The Wilderness Mind. Today's guest is Sarah Jones from Full Circle's Funeral. And I've recently done a talk with Sarah for Full Circle's about nature and grief. And I thought to invite you, Sarah, onto my podcast so we can talk about the topic and help spread some words of wisdom but also some new perspectives on how people might want to navigate grief using nature and the like as well so if you want to do a little intro in terms of what you'd like to tell listeners about who you are and what you do well my name's Sarah I own and work at Full Circle Funerals it's our fifth anniversary so we um, opened our first service five years ago and the reason we became funeral directors is because we think it's important and we wanted to take everything that we'd learned from working in health and social care and apply it to funerals and really try and create something that supports people's well-being, which of course will look really different for every single person. Yeah. And one of the things that we're also feel really strongly about, which is why it's lovely to be doing things like this, is that the more that we can raise awareness about things relating to bereavement, grief and funerals, the more likely it is that people are going to have their needs met and be able to look after themselves and others when they do experience a bereavement, which we all will. So we're really kind of keen to raise awareness about all things funeral related so that people can have a bit more control and feel a bit more empowered, but also share a lot of ideas and thoughts about how people can support themselves after the funeral and during their bereavement. Because the more that we talk about that sort of thing, the more people will know what to expect and hopefully be able to look after themselves better and support their own well-being and others. So it's lovely to be able to talk to you and do things like this and hopefully share a few ideas that will prepare people better in the future. Fab. And you talked a bit there about that transition in, from social care into compassionate care, I guess, really, isn't it? In terms of where you've taken that. And I bet that was a really rewarding journey to kind of make that step through into full circles as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we would argue funeral care really should be seen as part of health and social care. It's just another part of the continuum. And it would be helpful to frame it like that and see it as more, yeah, sort of caring and supportive it's such a privilege to be able to support people and hopefully help them to create meaning and have some growing acceptance of what's happened as part of funeral arrangements. Some people you can see it really makes a significant difference. It's a real privilege to do what we do. We're very lucky. Yeah, but obviously the core theme of the podcast really and everything that I do is around nature and well-being. And I know we've obviously talked previously about our passion for both of those things. I mean, I have mainly had women guests so far, but it's so amazing to meet other women. I call them my wilderness women who are kind of wild and free, exploring some new territory for yourselves, you know, in terms of the services that you provide at Full Circles. 
but also those people who kind of understand that nature can be part of our own well-being and we can learn a lot from nature as well. So I think we're going to have a bit of a talk about that. And I guess the starting point really of setting the scene for that as well in relation to talking to you today is that cycle, that full circle. There you go. (laughs) Of life and death and how that's so evident and so accepted and probably celebrated within the natural world. You know, I know it's sometimes uncomfortable for us to see and witness that, even if you're just thinking about like David Attenborough documentaries or, you know, if you're out on a walk and you do notice there's a loss that's happened in somewhere, you know, it's still poignant, but there's something a lot more open about nature and grief in that space, isn't there? And I love the fact that really you're bringing some of that ethos about life and death and kind of acceptance and seeing it as the inevitable in a way, but also helping people to feel with it rather than it happen to them. I think we both know that one of the triggers for loss really is around that feeling of reality just shifting massively and people feeling out of control. So those yeah, elements I think that control people is can... really important. Yeah, I think that's a really key word. The more that we talk about and have important conversations generally, I think the more in control people will feel because information really is very helpful, isn't it? And receiving that yeah. information just generally throughout your life rather than that information only coming when you've suffered a significant loss or experienced a loss, it would be really helpful. Essentially, I remember supporting a lady to arrange a funeral and she came from a farming family, so she lived on a farm. She made a comment about, well, if you live on a farm, then life and death is just part of what you do. And I thought, gosh, that probably gives you a real life, real time experience of life and death and the way that a lot of us don't experience that day to day in our work or in how we live. And I thought, yeah, that's really telling, isn't it? But some people who maybe do spend more time in nature or their work relates to nature and farming and probably do have a more day-to-day experience of it. Yeah, I can completely resonate with that. As like grew up, you know, looking after horses and stuff and it was just like, if it was ill, it just got sorted out. You know, you really got sort of introduced to life and death quite quickly as well. So tell me, Sarah, about your current relationship with nature. So how would you describe that for you? There's a couple of things actually to say on this. It was really important when we were establishing what Full Circle was going to look like. And one of the driving principles really is that the space that you're in is really important and that your direct environment has an impact on how you feel. And that being close to nature, either in it or if you can't be in it, bringing it inside can have a real impact on how open you feel, how optimistic, how resilient and that that's really important. And actually something I think that we have a tendency to underestimate, the power of smaller things. So one of the things that I guess is part of Full Circle and therefore part of my work life, because I spend a lot of time <laughs> in Full Circle, is that the way that the services are designed, everything that it looks like is very much based on those principles of design for well-being and biophilia. There's a wonderful book that I would suggest Everyone who listens to this podcast thinks about reading and it's by a lady called Sally Coulthard and it's called Biophilia. It's quite short and it talks through the evidence base that exists that being in nature or bringing it in is really helpful. And if people come to a funeral director, it's not somewhere that people generally want to be. No. Which we understand. But if you do find yourself needing to be there, I think it's really important that that space is as positive as possible. So all of the principles of biophilia are really kind of embedded in that. So the colours that we choose, the grains of wood, things are as untreated as possible. The wallpaper is all about trees and nature and we've got birch trees and some of the services. 
And actually, what I hadn't really thought through at the time, but that someone pointed out when um, I was interviewing them for a job, was that actually that's probably really great for the team as well. You know, because one of the things that I would really encourage people to do is make your workplace as natural as possible. Yeah. We don't all have the luxury that you do, where you can literally go into <laughs> nature. Yeah. But you can, you know, bring plants in or change a colour scheme or have some fresh flowers or even, you know, choosing a notepad with a pattern on it, which is nature inspired. All these little things are kind of straightforward to do and, and might have an impact. So the importance of nature in our environment is completely yeah. part of what we do every day. One of the things that I just wanted to pick up on from your last point is around the term biophilia, because I realised that although I talk about it a lot on the Where the Mind Grows website and some more blogs that people might not be kind of familiar with that term, and I just love saying the word. <laughs> It's really like one of my as well. So biophilia, for those of you that don't know, it actually relates to kind of our innate connection and response to nature, that we actually are part of nature, as I often talk about. And so we will naturally respond to nature, whether we're nature lovers or not. But the biophilic concepts actually draw upon design everything from interior design to building design. I worked in public health for a while and we looked at that biophilic importance in terms of health and social care and things like that, in terms of that access to green space or bringing connection with nature in. And as you say, Sarah, you know, that doesn't have to be that suddenly everyone's only going to benefit if they've got a woodland or a waterfall on their patch. And actually the ways in which we can incorporate nature just naturally into our sense of being on our everyday can be beneficial like you say in the wallpaper that you use the colors that you use for example I know in coaching I do a sort of biophilic inspired activity within the workplace particularly for those more urban located workplaces mm. where I just get them to find like a nature-based memory or a picture from like a nature-based holiday for example so that they can just spend a bit of time connecting with that memory or that vision. We've got an amazing recall in terms of how we can re-experience things. So if I asked you to think about your favourite nature space, you start to get the feelings that are connected with that memory. And that's powerful. It shows how powerful our mind is, but it also demonstrates that biophilic response in that we have this emotional connection with nature. And we know that nature obviously helps us with things like stress reduction and focus as well, which of course for your staff is great in terms yeah. of the challenges of their role. Because obviously you accidentally enhance your staff well-being in your workplace <laughs> environment. But I guess like well-being is a real big chunk word. And I know when I speak with different businesses and clients, like although we've got some key themes, everyone's got their own sort of version of well-being, as you said, and as you know, with sort of your clients and customers. I guess my question what does well-being mean for you, your organisation, like the workplace? Can you explain that to us? So we've got kind of setting to know where we're coming from, I guess, really, as well. From a team perspective. Yeah. You? So it's a really great question because a lot of our work is, as I've said, you know, a real privilege and is very powerful and helps us create a lot of meaning in what we do. It's definitely a very meaningful job. But there are times and situations, of course, that can be quite triggering for people in the team. And we've all got our own experiences, haven't we? And life histories that we bring and our own vulnerabilities. The health and well-being of the team is something that I definitely worry at quite a lot. And there's a few things that we do to try and support that. We talk about it, which I know sounds possibly slightly daft, but 
it feels like a good place to start. So mm -hmm. openly talking about the fact that there may be things that are quite difficult and that it's okay to talk about that. And maybe by sharing things that you find a little bit more challenging, your colleagues will be better able to help you if it's by listening or maybe sometimes stepping into a situation that's difficult. We do something called reflective practice, which means that for every family that we support, the funeral director afterwards kind of reflects on how that's gone, how they feel about things, what went well. And I think that's really helpful if somebody's maybe still holding on to something that they found difficult or maybe they didn't feel as well as they wanted to, which can be helpful. And then we do lots of little things like we do volunteering and we do that ideally out in nature. We have team walks. So after the team meeting, we try and then make sure that we're all in the same place and we're having a wander, not with a particular agenda, but just being outside together, sometimes a bit of litter picking involved, just to, you know, think about the impact that we're having, but being outside and doing things together. So recently, actually, we were in Bank Woods with Make It Wild and we were creating Lovely. mulch mats and putting them around the bases of baby trees, which was just nice together. The team wellbeing is something that's super important for all sorts of reasons so that we can give the best possible care to the families that we support. But also it just feels important, doesn't it? If you're going to run a business, it's really nice to think that you're doing everything that you can to make sure that the people that are part of that are as happy and fulfilled as they can be. We have people come in and talk to us about various parts of well-being. So we've got a nutritionist coming to speak to us. We've had osteopaths okay. come and speak to us to talk about how we sit and how we move. And so we try and be a little bit more general and share thoughts. I think, like you said, that kind of just wandering with no agenda. Obviously, I do one-to-one -one coaching, but also work with teams on their well-being. And most businesses have aspirations to do well-being. And most businesses can see the sense of how having a well-being kind of culture in your organisation would be beneficial both to the people in it, but also for your business, your business reputation, you know, as well. And I think, but often people will overcomplicate that. And one of the reasons for drawing nature in is not just to reconnect people with nature because we've become disconnected, but also because it's actually really accessible. And that whole thing about wandering with no clear agenda in itself is probably where all the creativity kind of happens and the discussion and the openness. And I talk a lot about psychological safety. And one of the principles of that is around trust and openness. And some of the examples that you said there, you know, about just talking about it. I think Brené Brown calls it rumbling, where you've got to kind of go into the uncomfortable space, call out the elephant in the room. Like, what's the bit that's uncomfortable in your role for you? And hold a space to kind of just talk about that you know an elephant if you've ever seen them walk together in their tribe their trunk to tails so if we're all sharing our elephants you know and kind of connecting it together as well I often will say to teams and it sounds like something that you're really doing really do begin to start to think about your team like a woodland ecosystem you know and we were know within nature and if we draw on natural principles like this about how nature does stuff how does nature create a little team for itself it's woodland then we start to kind of see like some of the behaviours we can incorporate into that as well. And that's things like communicating, receiving feedback from each other. So the ecosystem, you know, it's constantly responding, it's constantly shaping itself, adjusting to change, understanding that resilience is an essential need and that obviously within your sector, that whole level of resilience happens in a completely different way and people's life experiences will really influence how they experience loss. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have been motivated to kind of be in that compassionate role because of their own experiences of grief and loss as well. 
thinking of it like that and kind of picking up the bits of like what would a woodland need to do in order to mm. thrive and survive and grow and yeah. then bringing those responses in and I'm sure I've told you about this kind of analogy before but like in a woodland space the sort of more mature older trees will often then notice that the younger trees need to grow and have light so they begin to change the way in which they grow and they kind of create space for that and I think you know when you're getting new team members it's thinking about how the more experienced people kind of step back and allow those other people to kind of thrive and grow oh, and look after yeah. each other as well so I love all those metaphors because yeah. they totally relate to the team stuff for people yeah. we spend a lot of time thinking about how to support the well-being of the people we are yeah. helping yeah. and then it's quite a natural step to think well hang on if we completely believe that nature is important and yeah. music can be helpful and exercise can be helpful and taking time to do things that nurture you can be helpful and these are the principles that we're kind of trying to gently share with others then it's a small step to think oh maybe some of those things would be good for me too we are fortunate because well-being and trying to support well-being is pretty fundamental to everything that we do and what we spend yeah. our time talking about and worrying about. So I think it can be slightly easier for us than it might be for other businesses when it's slightly less core cool to what they're doing and what their of outputs course. are. Yeah, and that's a really good point to make is that no one's starting from the same place, are they? Whether it's well-being, whether it's your business culture and stuff. And I also wanted to add that I love the fact that your volunteering was to go and help grow new things and the well, life yeah. and death cycle is just in that? it, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. it's that thing of for your staff, they're faced with some really challenging situations and like you say, really privileged situations where they're supporting people in one of the most complex times of their life, probably for them to then span out and to be able to enable something to grow and begin in some way psychologically, whether they're aware of it or not, you know, yeah, there's some therapeutic yeah, no, value sounds... to that as well, isn't it? And yeah. the fresh air. So let's talk a little bit again, obviously, about the core aspect of well being and about the benefit of using nature for grief and mm. loss and bereavement. I don't know if you want to kind of explain those three terms. I know they're similar, but how you see those three different elements of grief, bereavement and loss and how someone might relate to those different words and things and how people that have accessed your services are using nature. So I suppose the first thing to say is speaking as a funeral director, people listening will immediately sort of think of somebody dying. But of course, loss and bereavement are part of our daily lives. There are many, many losses that we experience all the time. So a change in circumstances, maybe a change in your sense of self or what you see your purpose as. It might be a change in a relationship, mightn't it be that friendship or a partnership. Loss is a really important part of our life. And I think sometimes realising that can be quite reassuring because it makes you think, oh, do you know what? I'm not coming at this with no experience. And, you know, I have supported myself through these situations before. So I would describe it as any significant change. And I guess it would also generally have a challenging or negative element to it. Yeah. So be that a divorce or a friend who no longer wants to be your friend or a person that moves away or a job that you can't do anymore that you wanted to do or I think there can also be varying physical losses sometimes associated with aging and sometimes just part of what happens in life you know maybe someone's sight changes or their hearing changes or they can't drive anymore and all of these things I think count as losses and bereavements in varying degrees. I think as funeral directors because people who have experienced a bereavement come into contact with a funeral director generally 
I think it's really helpful for us to try and share as much information as we can, mm -hmm. but do that in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming. So share information about what grief looks like and how different that can be for different people and share some of the kind of physical and psychological elements of that so that people don't feel surprised maybe if they're experiencing it but then also try and share lots of little ideas about things that can be helpful so hopefully one or two of those will resonate for example from a nature perspective we share information about the idea of being in nature being helpful bringing nature in being helpful we share information about ongoing ritual to develop continued bonds and memory make and have kind of ongoing remembrance. And quite a few of those people are embedded in nature. So be that a park bench or a bird table somewhere or going out collecting pebbles and drawing memories on those or going to specific places that are important in nature to scatter ashes. I think there's a lot of things that people do after the funeral that are about remembering someone who's died that are kind of inherently embedded in mm -hmm. being in nature. And of course, um, memorial trees and things as well, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And that appeals to an awful lot of people. It draws them into nature and it gives them a reason to go and be in nature in remembrance. But as you said about the growing young trees, there's probably something that feels very nurturing about yeah. the thought of something growing and something positive being created. We've also we've partnered up with some local garden centres so we can offer a little voucher for discount on some pot plants. But again, just sharing the idea that bringing nature in can be helpful and maybe this is a small way to put a bit of nature in your home. And even if you can't get out into it every day for whatever reason, at least kind of bringing some of it in. We try and take our responsibility to share some of these ideas in the hope that it might just trigger someone thinking, oh, do you know what, I might just go for a walk in the woods or I might, rather than meet someone for a coffee, I might go for a walk with them outside. So just share the basic idea about nature being important. And that might just for one or two people take them off on a slightly different path, which is helpful for them. Absolutely. I can totally see the benefits of that. I talked in my talk about my own personal experience of loss and how like integral nature was and continues to be through that journey, I think, as well. And will probably be the thing that I apply for future losses, knowing that it's useful. I always remember clients describing They'd not actually come to see me about grief and loss, but it emerged as one of the things that was valued for them to kind of make their changes and steps forward. And they talked about the empty space of the house that they'd been in and how physically painful it was to be in that empty space, but how strange they found it that the vastness of very open expanse of nature that they'd been in was comforting and supportive. And it was such a fascinating analogy. And I totally understood what they meant in terms of that is there was so much silence in the house that they were living in, you know, that that person had once embodied that they'd lost and kind of all the memories that were there were suddenly silent and that was uncomfortable. But then to have a different version of silence and space in mm. some way in nature, it fascinated me because all the attention restoration theory about how when we're out in nature, it reduces our cortisol, our stress mm. hormone, it can boost some of our dopamine and endorphins that will help to resolve some of the depression and low mood that we might be getting. The more we get of those happy hormones even though our body might not be experiencing them in the fullest sense because it still might be quite disassociated in terms of grief but actually just how amazing it was that nature held that person in a totally different way and was a much more comforting version of space and silence for them 
I always say this, but nature's totally non-judgmental, isn't it? It's like Mm -hmm. you take yourself into any other social situation and you've got to be some version of something or you're anticipating that you've got to be that version of it, particularly when you're surrounded by other people's loss and grief and knowing what we know is that no one's going to have the same linear journey through bereavement are they or loss you know that everyone's going to experience and that different and obviously in family structures you see different mm-hmm. dynamics begin to shift and play out and that actually nature's totally non-judgmental to any of those needs it really does give you that freedom to do what you do and I've seen many a lady or a man in my time sat on a bench like you say just looking out into nature and thinking mm-hmm. I wonder if they're in that grief process and this is a place that's kind of holding almost wanting to go up and be like can I ask, are you using nature for your grief and your bereavement? But obviously I don't give them that space as well. So what do you think are some of the benefits then? Or what do you people that told you that they're using nature for their bereavements? How do you think it benefits them? Well, I think everyone's different. And I suppose we've spoken about some of the things, haven't we? I think there are some spaces, some natural places, which are really important because they have maybe been important to someone before they've died. They have a really powerful connection to that person in that space. Or it's a place that somebody already recognises as being helpful for them. So I guess inherently know that going there is going to help them and that they need to make the time and effort to go there. People with dogs, it's often helpful, isn't it? Because they're sort of yeah. forced to step back into nature and that might then kind of trigger them thinking, oh, that was helpful, actually, yeah. and then do it more. So I think dogs are probably quite helpful. Yeah, get dogs. Is your advice? Like, just get a no, dog. No, it's not. No, no, no. Don't make any <laughs> no, significant life decisions immediately. No, don't. No, no, definitely not. But I think if you have dogs, continue to walk. Yeah. And that might be helpful. And then, as you've mentioned, things like memorial trees or benches or I think a lot of people end up doing something post-funeral which is intimately connected with a special place often in nature and a lot of people do talk about the fact that they then very much intend to go and visit that 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 is and if there's children involved as well you know a lot of people will say that feels like a good place for us to go together with a picnic and be somewhere nice great new memories as well as remembering and honoring exactly yeah and natural burial grounds are an interesting thing to consider in the topic of oh, nature yeah, talk because, about that. Definitely. yeah so natural burial grounds are burial grounds where everything needs to be biodegradable there's no grave marking it's very much about everything that happens there being native and what would is natural to that location so they look and feel very different to a traditional cemetery probably mainly because there aren't any headstones you haven't got that kind of the lines of headstones for a lot of people that resonates for them that that is a beautiful space to go back to and that would be a beautiful place to visit and that it does feel very natural and a little bit less I guess manicured and managed they're sort of an example I guess of a funeral choice which is a little bit more embedded in nature Mm. and the natural environment that I think can be very helpful for some people when they know that's an option they go and visit and it immediately feels right for them and that that resonates and that that's a place that they feel more comfortable Obviously, the way in which we go through those ceremonies will be very different for everyone. And I know that obviously at Full Circles, you support people to kind of look at that broader option in terms of some of those ceremonies and the rituals and stuff. It's worth reassuring people, as we've talked about with the biophilia, that, you know, you might be listening to this in a tower of flats in London or away from something that feels totally kind of natural and nature based in some way. And nature is creative in how it grows and it sprawls and it responds. And so be creative and curious, really, in how to find your nature connection. So as you say, that might be 
even just the flowers in ceremony, that that's kind of a poignant connection to nature. It might be that you find a plant or you create those memories of time in nature with the person that perhaps you have lost in your life or the moments you have lost in your life as well. Go wander, you know, into parks. Or even, and I think this comes at different stages for different people in terms of like moving through grief, but finding that connection back with people. And often, certainly the people and clients that I've had who have dealt with grief, whilst there's some horrendous and challenging parts of it, there are also some opportunities that come out of those and people kind of evolve and change parts of their life. And so they might be curious to explore new social circles. And obviously, we know that peer support is massively important in terms of understanding and navigating grief. But I often see people really benefiting from conservation volunteering, where they can go and do that planting of the tree, but they can also be in a space with other people without much expectation mm-hmm. um, as well. You know, you're not necessarily specifically going to a, a grief based conservation group but you might seek out something that gives that purpose and meaning and connects you with that like life and death cycle of growing and horticulture, which there's plenty of research out there that says that that is beneficial to our mental health and well-being, just the principle of growing. Handling of soil is massively important in terms of we absorb nutrients that are antidepressants in there. You know, it's some amazing things that just we wouldn't necessarily know in mainstream as well. And it really does help with that depression and low mood that we might be experiencing and things like anger and frustration, you know, in our situation. And as much as we talked about nature space as being somewhere that's not judgmental and can hold you, it also brings you very much to the present so you can begin to attune back your senses. And I think when people have gone through loss, it's a version of trauma and we may disassociate. People, You might find if you're going through this that touch feels different or you can't smell or taste in the same way as when you're in that kind of grief cycle. And so nature can be a place where you can go and explore reconnecting some of those senses. I always just say, go and observe like a woodland or go into your garden and look at how would nature do that? So find the word or the feeling that's really hard for you. You know, is it that it is grief or is it fear or is it overwhelm? You know, what is it? And then think about how is nature dealing with that? So we talked with a client the other day and we were figuring out about their change journey, what they needed to do. And we looked at a stream. So how does a stream navigate change? You know, what does it do? It changes its course anytime. If there's a barrier there, like a rock or a boulder it spreads itself out and kind of finds a new route and things and that was a really useful way of that client kind of first time I was like what strategies are you going to use I have no idea so we looked at nature as a place to kind of think about what could we do could you change course yes you could change course could you go with the flow you know rather than thinking too far ahead or getting stuck in the past bits that you can't control and so using nature in that way of kind of like actually what can I observe here That would be a good strategy that I could use right now in this moment, you know, that's going to help me on any given day. And nature does take every moment. You know, yes, it has some seasonal stuff built into its evolution that helps it survive and resolve. But actually, if a woodpecker turns up and starts pecking on a tree, the tree's got to respond to that, you know. And I think that bringing some of those principles of presence back into grief can be really, really helpful because we're longing for the when's it going to feel better? And actually that ends up getting us stuck in not necessarily taking small steps or actions or changing the way that we feel. And it doesn't have to always be complex in what is already an overwhelming situation. 
yeah, I could just talk about nature. All I didn't know any of that about soil and the nutrient. I'm just, yeah, I'm loving yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I handling soil, I forget the exact nutrient that it is, but no, handling soil, that. there's evidence that it improves things like depression. It's right. like an antidepressant, basically, some of the principles of it as well, which is why gardeners are so positive. <laughs> Do you think? Wow, I didn't know any of that. There you go. So did you get a chance to look at the natural principles? Yeah, so the ones that immediately jumped out as being kind of embedded in what we're trying to do is about connection. Mm-hmm. So recognising that we are connected in many ways to people yeah. and things around us yeah. and trying to help people to find ways to stay connected, both to nature but also to other people and things that will help them. But also it's really important for the majority of people to find a way to have that ongoing connection with the person who's died. So the idea of the continued bond and that your relationship doesn't end, but that it changes and trying to support that ongoing connection. People will find different things helpful to support that. Some people will want to, of course, engage in particular activities. Others, it'll just be part of their, how, how they live their lives. The connection really important and the other one is about it was resilience they were the two that stood out because ultimately what we're trying to do is support people to feel as resilient as possible and we're doing that by giving them information supporting them in a way that works for them helping them to create something that will be helpful for them and therefore promote resilience and hopefully leave their time with us feeling more hopeful that they are resilient enough and they have that innate resilience and that there are people and things that will support them. So they were probably the two that jumped out immediately in terms of being pretty embedded in what we're about. Brilliant, yeah. And I think that, you know, know that everything is connected, like you say, and everything works both ways. So particularly with those continuing bonds, as you talked about, you know, it might be part of it painful, but it might be massively healing to have those continuing bonds as well. I often talk about the bigger picture and the small detail, like the bird's eye view down to the worm's eye view and actually noticing the small, but also seeing yourself in part of a bigger world as well and and know other clients that have gone into nature and in something where someone's felt so overwhelmed to then feel quite small in the grand scheme of like being by an ocean and reminding yourself that we are all connected in some way but actually this is a moment in time and there's a natural principle that talks about life moves certainly for me moving through kind of grief and stuff and knowing that life does move you know and it's moved to a place of grief and then it will move in different directions kind of past that and observing that in nature as well. And so you can offer support because you are your own support system. But those woodlands around, you know, the representations mm-hmm. of people that make up your woodland can be so essential in being with grief. And that's kind of the way I always describe it is, you know, you can't move around it. You can't just go, no, thanks. I'll uh, just skip this one. <laughs> but you can be with it in lots of different ways to kind of navigate through it, I think, as well. So we're coming to the end. Any parting words, reflections, questions, or anything that you'd like to explore before we end the wilderness mind for today? No, I don't think so. It's taken us to some interesting places. I've learned something, so that's always good. Every day is a school day. <laughs> Hopefully it will be helpful to someone who's listening and it's been a pleasure as always. 
fabulous and if you want to find more out about sarah and full circles then we will be putting all the details of full circles website and things in the show notes as well so you can find the link there and there's loads of amazing resources both arts and nature and all sorts and some articles on the biophilia that you talked about as well i know so that's a great resource for anyone in any stage of any loss certainly sort of useful and we hope we've inspired you to think about getting out in nature at difficult times as well so thank you sarah you've been listening to an episode of the wilderness mind brought to you by jk of where the mind grows coaching in nature with a green conscience you can find us on facebook and instagram at where the mind grows or visit our website at wherethemindgrows.co.uk Follow this episode and our podcast, The Wilderness Mind, to keep track of our future and existing episodes as well. Thank you for listening.